Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Express Show. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another edition of our greatest of all time series. We're going with greatest outfield of all time. We've already got people in the we've already got people in the chat. Uh, we've got uh, Eddie from the Baseball Life Facebook group, the self-proclaimed Angels Best Tour Guide. He's one of the tour guides over there at the Angels Stadium. Uh, I got to get over there one of these times. Corey's already in the chat, but my buddy Kevin Miller is with me. He'll be uh, co-hosting with me today as always. How you doing, Kevin? Doing all right, man. Um, hoping I won't have as many uh, cough breaks as I've had the last few times. I've you know, I've had I've had this pneumonia for a little while. I'm almost over it, I think. It's been yeah. about three weeks in now, and I'm getting close to being done with it. So hopefully I won't have to mute and cough as much as as the previous shows. But I'm looking forward to talking outfield today. It's yeah. uh it this list is tough, man. It's tough. It is a super tough list. And I mean, we'll we we even start with the just missed the cut. All five of those just missed the cut people have a case to be in the top 15. For sure. Um, so couple couple things with this list. We decided to go with top 15 because there are so many all-time greats in the outfield. We just decided we'll add another five more, recognize five more guys, and do a top 15 list instead of top 10. And this is outfield. So we're not doing best left field, best center field, best right field. We're doing outfielders. So we could see a bunch of right fielders. We could see a bunch of left fielders. We could see a bunch of center fielders. We could see... A uh, good good mix of all three. We'll just have to see when we get there. Um, but you know you're going to see some all-time greats here on this list. Um, without further ado, let's get to this stack list because we got a lot to cover um, in, a sh- in a short amount of time. Let's get going with this. Um, let's go and let's start with our just missed the cut list. So on our just missed the cut list, we've got five very, very good outfielders in and of itself. And 16th, you got Ichiro Suzuki. 17th, Reggie Jackson. 18th, Tris Speaker. 19th, Vladimir Guerrero. And in 20th, Jim Edmonds. Um, again, a stacked list here of, of out, outfielders already just to start for this five. I think the big omission here, the big surprise is Tris Speaker. Maybe should be a little bit higher. But nonetheless, I mean... This is all a very good list. What do you think of these first five guys there? Any any shock, any surprises there for you, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Tris Speaker. That one, that one took me by surprise when yeah. I found out he didn't make the list. I, I think he, I think he should be on the list. Uh, it gets tough though when you look at it because taking anyone off of the top fifteen list, as we're about to see, would be pretty difficult. Yeah. Uh, Tris Speaker, though, I think is the the glaring omission. I think I think when you look at especially in in relation to his era, you know, he was he was a top two outfielder of his era, you know, with Ty Cobb, obviously, toward the end of his career is when uh, Babe Ruth came into the picture. But it was pretty, pretty widely held that. Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker were the two best outfielders of their day. Uh, and it, it honestly, it, it does surprise me a little bit that he's not in the top 15, but because of how old he is and because of him not being Ty Cobb, who was the more famous of the two, right? Uh, it, it's not quite as surprising 
when I actually think about it, even though I do think he's deserving. Right. I mean, I think all, all five of these guys could be deserving of top 15, except we got something in the chat here. Um, Corey is surprised that Jim Edmonds is top 20. And his reasoning is if you are not hall of fame, it's hard to think you're in the top 20 all time in terms of outfield. Are you surprised that Jim Edmonds is this high and is 20th on this list? Or can you see Jim Edmonds at 20? Surprised and not surprised depends on what you mean. I'm not surprised because he was very popular as well. Right. Uh, you know, he was a guy that during his era uh, was a top, you know, 10 outfielder for, for sure. But I, I don't think he's a top 20 outfielder. I think there are, there are some guys below him that uh, even if you, even if you exclude the steroid guys, even if you don't, you know, include Manny Ramirez and guys like that, uh, I think that you could make the argument that, you know, Andrew Jones and some some guys with similar uh, but maybe slightly better resumes. Yeah, Kirby Puckett is yeah. a guy that that I'm surprised uh, is lower than Jim Edmonds. Sorry if that's a spoiler to the to the top 15 list, um, <laughs> but I am a little surprised that Jim Edmonds is that high based on where I think he should be, but I'm not surprised because of how popular he was as a player and still honestly still is as a player. Yeah. And I think one thing that we're going to see here is I think this is going to be the widest collection of different hitter and fielder profiles in any position that we see. Um, Because, you know, when we saw the first base list, the first base list was riddled with power hitters. He had second base and shortstop with more defensive, right? And then you had um, shorts, uh, you had third base, which was kind of more all around. This one, we we're going to see a wide variety of people. We're going to see contact hitters. We're going to see defense. We're going to see power. We're going to see all kinds of different uh, people on this list. Um, so without further ado, let's start with our top 15. In 15th, probably one of the best contact hitters in all of in in all of the game. Number 15 is Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn spent a 20-year career with the Padres from 1982-2001. He played in 2440 games, tied for 76th all-time. He's tied for 23rd all-time in career average at 338. Um, with a 132 weighted runs created plus he's 89th all-time award at 16 at 65. He made 15 all-star appearances five gold gloves out right field, seven silver sluggers, and is 21st all-time in hits at 3,141. Tony Gwynn rounds off our list and is the gatekeeper of our top 15 list. I've always liked Tony Gwynn. There seems to be two different camps of Tony Gwynn. One is, yeah, he was a good hitter, but he didn't do anything else besides just hit it into the, hit it in between, uh, uh, shortstop and third base. And then that's it, right? He, he had one dimension to his game, but the thing is he may have had one dimension to his game, but he did it well. And he did it well for a long time. The dude could hit the dude could, you know, he, he may not have gotten on base via the walk, but he didn't need to, when you're hitting 338 for your career and probably the closest we've seen to a 400 season since the last 400 season in the sixties. Um, so Tony Gwynn, I think has a right to be on here. And in my mind, he's one of the greatest, at least contact hitters of the sport. What's your opinion of Tony Gwynn? Now, I, in, in lieu of trying to make a case for Gwynn, I, uh, I actually just want to present some, some crazy Tony Gwynn stats 
uh, because Tony Gwynn is one of those guys who, despite not hitting for a lot of power, has a lot of crazy stats to his yeah. name. So I, I just want to share some of these just so so people, if maybe they're a little bit younger or just didn't pay attention, maybe they're not as familiar with Tony Gwynn, they can get a glimpse into just how good Tony Gwynn was at what he did. The first stat, and this blows my mind, Tony Gwynn struck out three times in a game. In a game, it happened one time, <laughs> three strikeouts, one time in his career. It would require him to go 0 for 1,183 for his average to dip below 300. He would have to go hitless for 1,183 at-bats in order to have his average dip below 300. And this is a modern hitter. This isn't a dead ball era hitter. This is a modern hitter. He averaged 21 strikeouts a season. Last year, Joey Gallo struck out 30 times in 24 games. <laughs> oh, and, and th there's more. There's more. Tony Gwynn faced Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and uh, Tom Glavin a lot. And I'm a Braves fan, so I got to see some of this as, as a kid. His career average against John Smoltz, 462. Greg Maddox, 429. Tom Glavin, 312. Th these are three of the top six or seven pitchers of their era, and he absolutely dominated them, including having over 100 at-bats against Greg Maddox with zero strikeouts. Zero. Tony Gwynn from 1992 to 1995 scored more runs than he missed pitches. He had less swing and misses than he had runs scored from 1992 to 1995. This dude is, in my opinion, the best bat-to-ball player of my lifetime and maybe of the modern era. I know there are other guys who have a, a greater overall value because of their power. I'm not denying that. But Tony Gwynn is the best ever in the modern era, I think, of just getting the bat to the baseball. Exactly. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, we place a lot of value on power. Power is right now in this modern game, it's everything. If you're not hitting 20 homers, you ain't worth nothing, right? But there's something to be said about contact hitters, about bat-to-ball guys, some and somebody who does it as well as Tony Gwynn. There is work to that because you got to have runners on base in order to score, right? And Tony Gwynn was just that. He was the guy that put the bat on the ball and – he hit it where they weren't and that's exactly what he did and he did it all the way through college you know he did it through college he did it through the pros and yeah i i i i think you summed it up perfectly i don't have anything else to add to that tony gwynn is a great bat to ball player in fact i think he is the perfect example of putting the bat to the baseball i tell anybody that i coach or anybody that wants to you know how do you i don't you know i don't know what the mechanics are to to, to, to make sure you know, that I'm giving myself the best chance of hitting the baseball, go look at Tony Gwynn swing because that man could put a ball that he could hit, uh, he could hit the ball with an oar. Like the dude just knew how to put a, a, a stick of wood on a baseball. Um, so it's a great, great start to our number 15 or our 15 list here. Um, let's, let's keep going with our, uh, number 14, uh, player of, or outfielder of all time is Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson spent a 21 year career with the Reds, 
Orioles, Dodgers, Angels, and Indians from 1956 to 1976. He played in the 24th most games all time at 2,808. Um, he is tied for 38th all-time in slugging percentage at 537 and tied for 23rd all-time in career-weighted runs created plus at 153. And even higher, he's 18th all-time in war at 104. He appeared in 12 All-Star games, won the Rookie of the Year 1956. He won the NL MVP in 1961 with the Reds and then the AL MVP in 1966 with the Orioles. He won the 1958 Gold Glove, He's 10th all-time in homers at 586 and 22nd all-time in RBIs, 1,812. I don't think it can be understated, and I think it's pretty obvious. Frank Frank Robinson was a powerful outfielder, lots of power, and could, you know, just below 300 average. So he could hit for average to boot. Um, And 389, 389 career OBP is nothing to sneeze at either. So with that with that power, you would think that the average would be a little bit lower, but it's actually pretty good for, for power hitter's sake anyway, and it proved to be productive. Um, lots of accolades, um, and you know he the statistics love him. Um, so uh, what's your opinion here on Frank Robinson there, uh, Kevin? Frank Robinson is a guy that probably doesn't get enough respect uh, in the all-time discussions. I think a lot of that's because he played at the same time as – Mantle, as Mays, as Aaron, uh, you know, guys who we will undoubtedly see later on in this list. But Frank Robinson was a freaking stud, man. I mean, he won an MVP in both leagues. Um, I I can't remember. Has that been has that been done since Frank Robinson? I don't think so. I think Frank Robinson is the only one that's done that. Yeah, that's what I thought. And he won he won Triple Crown as well. He was a guy who. Um, was also really well respected, which is kind of a cool thing. He had a really, really great playing career with the Reds and the Orioles that everybody knows about. And he got his his numbers retired uh, with both of those franchises. But what a lot of people don't know is that he spent two years with the, the Indians and then managed them for two more years. And he has his number retired by the Indians because of the impact he made just as a person which is a really cool thing. I, I can't imagine there's very many guys outside of Jackie Robinson who have their number retired by three franchises. Yeah. I, I, that, I mean, that's, that's insane. When you think about it, he, his number is retired by three separate franchises. That tells you what kind of impact Frank Robinson had both as a player and as a person. And we know he had a long career as a manager as well, you know, and he, he just passed away a few years ago, but Frank Robinson was, as far as everything I've ever heard and everything I've ever read was well-respected as a person too. And this list, as we move on, we'll see a lot of people who were, uh, we'll just say that they're larger than life or, or their, their mythology is even bigger than, uh, than they were as a player. You know, the stories are even bigger than, than the reality, but Frank Robinson was a guy who for the most part was pretty reserved, pretty quiet and just with class went about his business and dominated while doing so. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, and I just checked. He is, uh, he is the only player to have won MVP in both leagues, uh, both the NL and the AL. Um, yeah, he's he's very influential, and I think underrated figure. 
um, here in, in, in baseball history. And I wish he would get more attention. So it's nice to see that baseball life has given him some, uh, some attention here, putting him 14th on the list. Um, let's move on. Number 13 on our list, my man, Mike Trout, Mike Trout spent, or Mike Trout has had 12 years with the angels starting in 2011 to now. And in 1,407 career games played, he's hit a 303 average. He's, as it stands right now, tied for 25th all-time in on-base percentage at 415 and is 10th all-time in slugging percentage at 587. As it stands right now, he is 6th all-time in weighted runs created plus for his career, 172. 172. And if you haven't been following us since the beginning, weighted runs created plus essentially means 100, a figure of 100 is an average player. It's just league average, uh, a league average batter. Anything above that is an above average hitter. And the higher you go, the better hitter you are. 172 is a ton. That's a big number. He's already in 12 years of his career, 35th all-time in war, 82.1. He's played in 10 all-star games was 2012 Rookie of the Year, won the AL MVP in 2014, 2016, and 2019, and he's won nine Silver Sluggers in, in, in 12 years. And in my mind, he should have another one that Miguel Cabrera stole. So in my mind, he should be a four-time MVP, but he's three, so whatever. I, I guess that's that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, I mean... In my mind, I, I, being an Angel fan, I've I've watched Mike Trout a lot, and I think what separates Mike Trout right now from other people in his in in the league is this man is really good at being able to adjust his game to make himself better. In the modern baseball era, in 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 the land of statistics, you you don't see. You don't see people making adjustments to their game. You see people using statistics as strategy to put their strengths, right? To put their strengths in um, in the right situation instead of instead of uh, improving their weaknesses. Mike Trout has made a living at being able to find his weaknesses and make them no longer weaknesses. In the beginning of his career, he could hit the low. If it, if anything low. It was out of the park. You threw him a high fastball, he couldn't touch it. He noticed that. So he worked on it in the offseason. And now he can, now he's a much better high ball hitter. When he moved from left field to center field, in my mind, he was not a center fielder. He was more of a left fielder defensively. He didn't have the arm for center field. Mike Trout noticed that. So he made so he made it a point in the offseason to work on his arm strength. Now He's pretty good center fielder defensively. He, he's nothing to sneeze at out there. In my mind, that's what separates Mike Trout, and that's why Mike Trout is as good as he is and is continuing to be as good as he is, is because he continually adjusts his game so that he can be the best hitter he can be for his team. Now, on top of that, I respect that, and maybe it's just because I'm an Angel fan, but I respect that Mike Trout, is staying with the Angels, even though the Angels are essentially wasting his career by not putting anybody else around him. 
This argument that Mike Trout is not a good player because he hasn't won a championship is bogus and is ridiculous. I hate it when people bring that up. He's not a good player because he doesn't win a championship. He's selfish. He's not selfish. That's not Mike Trout. Mike Trout is one dude. It is not like basketball. It's not like football. It's not like other sports where one guy makes a difference. You get LeBron James and all of a sudden you're a playoff team, right? You put Mike Trout on, let's say, the Orioles. The Orioles are still not a playoff team. You put Mike Trout on the Pirates. The Pirates are still not a playoff team. It does not, you got to have the right people around Mike Trout. But Mike Trout as an individual player, in my mind, is a generational talent and one of the greatest of all time. And I would say, as long as he doesn't get, you know, he doesn't get any more injured than he already is, he will continue to climb up this list. And I would, and I would, I would be, um, I would like to say that personally, I think he would land in the top five by the end of his career. So I cede the floor to you, Kevin, your take on Mike Trout. Just looking, looking at his numbers, we see that he's played about half as many games as Frank Robinson, who we just talked about was incredible. The only guy to ever win MVPs in two leagues. Talking about Frank Robinson. He's only 20 war behind Frank Robinson in half as many games. That's insane. Mike Trout has played 12 years, and some of them have had injuries. So when you look at it, you're really looking at 10 and a half, 11 seasons, and he's top 35 all time in war. And that's including the inflated war numbers of the really old guys when they didn't really know how to measure the defense of those older players. His war is still that high. And I think he's a guy he's, I think he's been robbed of at least one MVP, maybe two. Yeah. I think he's been robbed of at least one gold glove, maybe two. I'm not saying he's an elite defender, but he is a good defender who has had a couple of elite seasons. Yeah. The fact he doesn't have at least one gold glove annoys me. But when you look, when you look at Mike Trout, you see a guy who has dominated in different ways. When he came up as a rookie, a lot of people forget this. My dude stole 49 bases in like 110 games. <laughs> he he came up and was was running all over everybody. And he had one of the one of the best ever uh success percentages for stealing bases that year. He he only got caught a handful of times. And the Angels are like, hey, you're too good to be stealing quite so much. Maybe slow it down a little bit so you don't get hurt because they recognize how good he is. That's how you know a guy is really freaking good when a team doesn't want them stealing as many bases because they're so valuable with the bat. You don't hear that with many guys. Right. But, but Mike Trout's not many guys. Mike right. Trout is, is a one of one. There's nobody quite like Mike Trout. And I think uh, I think I would agree with you that if things continue on anything close to this trajectory, I'm not even saying that if he's for six, seven, eight more years, as good as he's been, if he's just above average for six, seven, eight more years, you're looking at him in the top seven, six of this list. If he continues at something close to this rate, you're talking about top three, four, five. And that's when you're talking about baseball immortality. Yeah. You're talking about Aaron. You're talking about Mays. You're talking about Ruth. You're talking about Williams. You're talking about like, the 
greatest of the great. And Mike Trout has a chance to be in that conversation. Like legitimately, this isn't hyperbolic. This isn't like when people try to try to talk about guys who are super talented. Oh, they could be. No, Mike Trout legitimately might be in that conversation in a few years. I mean, the dude, Mike Trout only played only he missed what? I think he missed 60 games last year. How many games did he miss last year? He played in 119 games. So he missed, what is that? 40 games, about 40 games, 50 games, Um, 499 plate appearances. He still hit 40 homers. Not only that. He hit 283, 369, and a six with a 630 slugging percentage. And he was hurt. And then they found out he has a some sort of back condition, right? That that he's going to need to keep track of. Some chronic back condition that he needs to keep track of. So that's going to be his major thing here is his injuries. Is he going to be able to placate his injuries here and stay on the field? Um but already, I mean, we're looking at one of the greatest of all time here in Mike Trout, just given the resume that he has now. Um so, you know, with the with the risk of sounding like an unbiased Angel fan, let's let's move on to number 12. Um, our number 12, we're getting a lot of people in the chat. And Melvin's here. Jacob's here. We got Felipe in the house um, suggesting that maybe we should have a greatest of all time draft. That's an interesting it's an interesting uh, uh, thing to go off of here. Um, oh, Jacob says Mike Trout is no Griffey. Oh, boy. Um Oh, them are fighting words, Jacob. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see if uh, Griffey will be on this list later on. Let's go to number 12. Stan the Man Musial. Stan Musial played a 22-year career with the Cardinals from 1941 to 1944, and then again in 1946 and 1963. Um, he played tied for seventh all-time with Eddie Murray. He played in 3,026 games. Right. And uh, he's tied for 36th or 32nd in average with 331, uh, 331 average, tied for 22nd or he's 22nd all time with an OBP at 417 and is 19th all time in slugging percentage at 559. He's tied for 12th all time with Jimmy Fox in weighted runs created plus at 158. He's 10th all time in war at 126.8. He played in 20 all-star games, won the MVP in 1943, 1946, and 1948. He's fourth all-time in hits, 3,630, and then he's eighth all-time in RBIs, 1,951. Not only was Stan the man good, but, but Stan Musial is probably the most beloved Cardinal to, pro- you know, you can probably argue maybe pool holes, but I would say Stan the man is probably the most beloved Cardinal in the, in the historic Cardinal franchise. There's a lot of good players that have gone through the Cardinal system and for, for um, Stan usual to be the one that's probably the most beloved and still be this good. You, you know, he's an all-time great, right? He's not just a fan favorite. He's a fan favorite because he's just that good. Um, so, you know, I don't think, I think the resume speaks for itself. We don't need to talk anymore about Stan usual. The man was just good at baseball. Um, what, what's your take on Stan usual there? Any, any anecdotes or what research did you have on Stan usual? Yeah, I I did. uh, I did come across some, some new facts about Stan usual that I'll share in just a second, but just, just looking at Stan usual, the baseball player, he gets overlooked more than just about anybody 
I think, in the all-time great discussions. Um, you know, I know we talked about Frank Robinson not getting enough respect, but Stan Musial gets even less respect than Frank Robinson. He, he's a guy that, despite not being a major power threat, he did have some power, but despite not being a major power threat, finished his career with a 559 slugging percentage, which is good for 19th of like 19th all time, despite yeah. not being a big power threat. That, that's a big deal. Right. In, in the prime of Albert Pujols, right. You know, his, his sports center commercials, the machine, you know, all that, there was another nickname. I don't know if you remember this. There was another nickname that was floating out there. I remember this. I love this. Yeah. So, so people wanted to, because Stan is Stan, the man, right. They wanted to put a Latin spin on Albert's uh, and call him El Hombre. And Albert in an interview in the very Albert Pujols way uh, asked to not be called that anymore. He said, there's only room in St. Louis for one man. And that is Stan, the man usual. Yep. And for Albert Pujols, who, when I was a kid, went through a stretch of existence where he was the most feared hitter on the planet for Albert Pujols to recognize the greatness of Stan Musial. That says something to me as a guy who obviously never got to watch Stan Musial was well, well, well before my time, but the city of St. Louis, the fans of the Cardinals carry on his legacy. I've talked to, uh, I've talked to some really, really old timers before who did get to watch Stan Musial, and they just talked about how simple he made baseball look. And baseball is not a simple game. It's not a game that people make look simple, but yet he did. Um, and, and there actually, there is one little correction I'd like to make on the slide. He made 24 all-star uh, games. There were just some of the years, uh, some of the years they played two. So it was 20 all-star yeah. seasons. But yeah. 24. He had 20 all-star seasons. I just, I, I knew they played two, but I, you know, when you look at it here, he had 24 all-star appearances in 22 years. That would have looked weird. So. Right. The only reason I know is because it's the all-time record. He shares it with, uh, with Aaron and, uh, and I believe Mays as well. But uh, I did, I did learn a few things about Stan Musial. I knew he was, you know, he was supposed to be, uh, or he was seen as a good person, but I didn't know just how uh, just good of a person Stan Musial was. Apparently after he retired, he wrote children's music books like textbooks for like elementary school kids. I did. I did read that somewhere. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Uh, and he released a, He released an album, actually a harmonica album. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah. I, and he, and I, this was something I didn't know. He would play the harmonica uh, at every hall of fame ceremony uh, until, until right before he passed away, which is, that's a pretty cool thing for, I'm sure a bunch of people who don't, necessarily love harmonica music the fact that they let stan musual do this speaks to how highly they viewed stan musual yeah um, so, just thing, some cool little nuggets yeah those are cool now another cool nugget i found in the chat uh melvin of the uh of baseball cosmos he's tuning in and uh, it's good to see him in the chat um he has another nugget for us Stan the man was just as good at home as he was or was just as good away as he was at home he had 1,815 hits at home. His total away, 1,815 hits. He had the exact same total. I think that, that that's cool. I like that. Thanks for that one, Melvin. That, that's a good little nugget there. All right. So beloved Stan the Man was number 12. Let's look at who number 11 is. Number 11 
greatest bait stealer of all time, Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson played a 25-year career with just about half the league. Uh, he played with the A's probably like four times. Uh, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Padres, the Angels, the Mets, the Mariners, the Red Sox, and the Dodgers. You might as well have just said the entire league. From 1979 to 2003, he's played in the fourth most games of all time, 3,081. He's tied for 58th in on-base percentage at 401. He's got a 132 weighted runs created plus. His 17th all-time in war, 106.3. He played in 10 all-star games, won the MVP in 1990, uh, has a 1981 gold glove, uh, has three silver sluggers and is the career leader in runs, stolen bases and caught stealing. The stolen base King is also the King of getting caught. I think, I, I just, I think that's funny. It's obviously because he ran so many times, of course, you're going to get caught, but you know, I, I just think it's funny that he's both stolen bases and and getting caught. Um, Ricky Henderson is one of my favorite players. In my mind, he's the greatest leadoff hitter there ever was. Not only was he able to get on base, but he was also a power threat on top of the speed. And, you know, I, I, I read, I read, or I watched somewhere that they said Ricky Henderson was the only man in the world, only baseball player in the history of baseball that could turn a walk into a triple in two pitches because he just stole. You just knew he was going to steal those bases. And I don't think anybody else was more confident in being able to steal bases than Ricky Henderson. Um, and there is just, uh, if I remember correctly, maybe, maybe you have it. There's somewhere around there. Somebody has, somebody would have to steal like 40 bases for like the next 12 years or something like that and still be like 500 stolen bases off of Ricky's Ricky's um um Ricky's mark there. I I I don't remember the 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 actual stat but in other in you know beyond that Ricky Henderson is in my mind the greatest leadoff hitter that there ever was and a personality to boot. I mean this dude had uh confidence just oozing out of him and you know he even even after he retired from the MLB, he still played independent ball. Like this man just lived and breathed baseball until he just flat out couldn't do it anymore. Um, so mad respect to Ricky. Ricky's one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, players of all time. Uh, what's your opinion? What's your take on Ricky Henderson? Ricky Henderson is another guy. I, I feel like I'm going to say this a lot tonight. He's another guy who... Uh, isn't properly rated when it comes to the all-time discussion. He was a lot more than just the guy who stole a lot of bases. Now his base stealing prowess is otherworldly. I mean, just look, I mean, 1400 plus steals. You could steal 50 bases a year, 50 bases a year for 25 years and not pass Ricky Henderson. Yep. That's insane. And I know he's the career leader in caught stealing, but he still has an over 80% success rate as a, as a base stealer, which is one of the best numbers of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about how confident Ricky was, right? There was a time, I can't, I can't remember who the third baseman was. It was a third baseman for the Orioles. Said that Ricky Henderson got walked to lead off the game. And when he got to first base, he held up two fingers. 
Everybody's like, what is Ricky doing? And then on the first pitch, Ricky Anderson stole second base. <laughs> and on the second pitch, Ricky Anderson stole third base. He was putting up two fingers to let the third baseman know, I'll see you in two pitches. And he did. <laughs> Ricky is a Ricky is a guy who who led off innings. Just just led off innings. Not this has nothing to do with with his times coming to the plate other than leading off an inning. He led off innings with 796 walks. That's more than a lot of Hall of Famers have for their whole career. Guys who we've seen on other lists, uh, Ryan Sandberg, Kirby Puckett, uh, guys like that had less walks for their whole career than Ricky had just as a leadoff guy. He also led off innings with hits 1,263 times. Add, the, add those together, and that means 2,159 times Ricky Henderson led off an inning by getting on base. The last thing any pitcher wanted to do when Ricky Henderson was in the box was let that man get on base because if he got a single, he's probably turning that into a double, maybe even a triple. If he got a double, he's probably turning it into a triple. You did not want to let Ricky Henderson get on base. But yet, 2,159 times Ricky Henderson led off an inning by getting on base. That's the most all-time. You mentioned his personality, and, and I said at the top of the show that there are going to be some guys on this list who almost have like a mythology around them, right? Well, Ricky Henderson's one of these guys. Yeah. You know, there are real Ricky stories and there are fake Ricky stories. You know, everybody's heard the fake Ricky story with John Olrude, like, oh, somebody else I played with wore that helmet. Ha ha. Oh, that's me. Well, that story wasn't real. But there are some other things that have gone around that are real Ricky stories. So when he played with the Angels, right, he gets he gets on the bus and uh, – or excuse me, when he played with the Padres, um, he gets on the bus and uh, Steve Finley – I believe it's Steve Finley. Steve Finley says, Ricky, you can you can sit where you want, man. You've got tenure. And Ricky responded, Ricky ain't got tenure. Ricky got about 16, 17 years at this point. I'm old. <laughs> and that's just that's just who Ricky was, man. Ricky was a guy who said what he was thinking at all times. You know, when he broke Lou Rock, Lou Brock's steals record, uh, he ended up obliterating it. But when he first broke it, he, he said during his speech, today I'm the greatest of all time. And people, people were taken aback by that because they're like, oh, how arrogant. Well, that's just Ricky, man. That's, Ricky. that's just who he was. And Ricky often referred to himself as Ricky. He's, he's just a different cat. And there, there are lots of things that Ricky did and, and, and said that, that were wild and outrageous. But the man backed it up on the field. He wasn't, he wasn't just a, a guy who got on base and stole base at 297 career home runs, right? He's the all-time leader in non-intentional walks. I don't know if you, if you realize that. If you take out intentional walks, Ricky Henderson is the all-time leader, more than Bonds, more than Ruth, more than Tommy, more than Joe Morgan, more than all these guys that we know walked a ton. Ricky Henderson walked even more. He was an absolutely incredible player with somehow a personality that was even, even bigger than that. Right. Uh, he's a guy, he's a guy that I don't know how you do it, but he and usual both, you got to get them higher on this list. Again, oh. I don't know how you do it, but they both need to be higher on this list. Yeah. I've, I've said for a long time, Ricky is underrated and Ricky, I mean, Ricky Henderson is an under underrated player and he's still a hall of famer. Like that's just how, for me, that's how good uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky Henderson was another cool nugget from Melvin. Um, you know, Melvin covers the, uh, the international baseball, um, the scene there, he covers all of the winter leagues and all, all this stuff. He says, um, Ricky Henderson 
is also he holds the record for stolen bases in a season in the Puerto Rican win- winter league. So not only was he stealing bases in the U S he's stealing bases overseas as well. Um, so that's, that's another cool little nugget there. All right. So we've already had all kinds of all time greats in our, in our bottom 15 here who cracked our top 10, our number 10 outfielder of all time, Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio spent a 13-year career with the Yankees from 1936 to 1942, and then again in 1946 to 1951, missing 1943 to 1945 due to military service. He played in 1,736 career games. He's tied for 42nd all-time in average, 325. Tied for 68th all-time in on-base percentage, 398. Is 13th all-time in slugging percentage at 579. He has a career 152 weighted runs created plus. He's tied for 28th all-time there. He's 34th all-time in war at 83, played in 13 all-star games, and won the MVP in 1939, 1941, and then again after his military service in 1947. Joe DiMaggio, another Yankee great, and number 10. Kevin, what's your take here on Joe DiMaggio at number 10? is incredible. I mean, if you look at just the numbers, it's very comparable to Mike Trout's career, honestly, yep. to this point. Trout pl- has played in fewer games, uh, but the rate stats look, look pretty similar. Uh, the home run total looks pretty similar. They do often compare Trout to DiMaggio quite a bit. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think that Trout is ultimately going to be higher than DiMaggio eventually on these types of lists. Uh, but DiMaggio, DiMaggio is a guy that I don't know if I could have had him over Musial and Ricky. Uh, he, he was really good. Uh, in fact, his, his career OPS numbers are, are higher than Musial and, and Ricky Henderson. Uh, he's a guy that made an all-star game in every season that he played, which is remarkable, especially after military service. Uh, but I do think that, again, the mythology of Joe DiMaggio, the Yankee Clipper, right? I think the, the mythology of Joe DiMaggio inflates his legacy just a little bit. He's right. already, don't get me wrong, he's already incredible. He belongs on this top 15 list. I'm not sure that he belongs in the top 10 only because that excludes some of the guys we've already looked at. Right. I, I think he's a guy that because he played in New York, because he had this big personality off the field, because he dated and I believe married Marilyn Monroe, which, by the way, as a side note, I ordered the Marilyn and Joe dish at a restaurant uh, called the Columbia in Tampa. That is, it was supposedly something that DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe uh, like ordered special when they went to this place. And it's the best in restaurant food I've ever had. Just as, just as a side note, what the is Marilyn? It? The Marilyn know. and Joe. It's it's so it's Cuban, but it's. It's it's sausage and and chicken and beef and peppers and onions. And I can't really explain the amount of spices and seasonings on it, but it was incredible. So if you're ever in Tampa at the the Columbia, Maryland and Joe is where it's at. I'd say I'd say there's enough to feed, two, but you'll want to eat all of it. It's that good. (laughs) But Joe DiMaggio, incredible player. I probably would have had him a couple spots down simply because I don't know that I can have Ricky Henderson, Stan Musial, and eventually Mike Trout lower on the list. 
Yeah, it's certainly, I think DiMaggio is the one that I'm like, oh man, that I think he was the one that I was having the toughest time with when it came to looking at this list. Like, is he 10? Is he lower? Is he higher? I, I, you know, and I think it is the, you know, he's Joe DiMaggio, like he's the dude. Um, so yeah, I, I think there is certainly a case for Ricky and, and Stan usual to be there, but he certainly like, this is, I think where I would have DiMaggio as well. Um, so let's move to number nine, our number nine outfielder of all time. Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb played a 24 year career with the Tigers and the Philadelphia A's from 1905 to 1928. He played in the sixth most games all time at 3,035. He is the best all he has the best all-time average 366 he has the ninth best obp at 433 and is 86th in slugging at 512 he is eighth all-time in weighted runs created plus at 165 he's fourth all-time in war at 149.4 he won the mvp in 1911 probably would have won more if it weren't for the fact that the with the rule where you could only win one and then that was it he won the Triple Crown in 1909. He is second all-time in hits only to Pete Rose, 4,189 hits. Only two men have more than 4,000 hits, and it's Pete Rose and Ty Cobb. And he's ninth all-time in RBIs at 1,937 and has also garnered the reputation as one of the if one of the dirtiest players in baseball history. But at the same time, was he playing dirty or was he playing hard? We'll never know because, well, we just – we can't see him play. And there, I'm sure there isn't much footage of watching Ty Cobb play. Um, but I know he garnered a reputation as being a dirty player while he was playing. Um, so uh, what's, your, what's your research there over, uh, over there, Kevin, with Ty Cobb and uh, your opinion of him at number nine? pretty close to where he should be. Uh, Ty Cobb is a guy who he also, we're going to say this a lot, he he also had a bit of a, of a mythology around him, right? Mm-hmm. Except it was more negative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ty, Ty Cobb, to be clear, Ty Cobb was not a good person. Ty Cobb had lots of faults, but the mythology around him made him out to be even worse than he was. And some of that was because uh, one of his former teammates – uh, Sam Crawford uh, kind of teamed up with with an author. Um, I think it's it was Al Stump. I think that might have been his name uh, to write a couple of Ty Cobb biographies uh, shortly after his playing career. That that really really sullied his already bad reputation. They accused him of of being a racist, which he actually wasn't. That's one of the one of the positive things you can say about Ty Cobb in an era of blatant racism. He wasn't. Uh, he was actually a, a proponent of black players and Latino players being able to play in Major League Baseball, which is a cool thing. However, that does not mean that he was a good person. Just because they exaggerated things doesn't mean that they weren't basing some of it on truth. Ty Cobb was was known to be violent. Uh, he'd fight teammates and opposing players. Uh, he he had a reputation for, like you said, playing dirty. Uh, spikes up was was definitely. Uh, something associated with Ty Cobb. He was a guy that uh, when he lost the batting table or batting title to Nap Lajway, uh, we mentioned this 
a few weeks ago with our, our second base list when he lost the batting title. Some of his teammates, kind of led by Sam Crawford, who did not like him, uh, went and congratulated Nap Lajoie on winning the batting title um, instead uh, instead of Cobb, which is interesting. But Cobb was a guy as a player. It's hard to argue with his resume. You know, he has the most all-time runs created, and that's a stat that just it's runs plus RBIs, but then you subtract home runs so they don't count twice. And he has the most ever. Like no one else has more runs created than Ty Cobb. So it's hard to argue with with his resume as a player. Um, nine is probably pretty close to where, where I'd have him. You know, the lack of power is something that was real, but that was more of an era thing. He did win the Triple Crown in 1909. So relative to the his era, at least the first part of his career, his power was, was actually kind of high. Yeah. Uh, the second half of his career as Ruth and others started to hit home runs, he obviously did not. Uh, but uh, I don't have a problem with Ty Cobb being at number nine. Yeah, I think this is a good place for him. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on from Ty Cobb at number nine and his sullied reputation to our number eight outfielder of all time, Roberto Clemente. Now we go from a guy who had a really terrible uh, reputation to a guy who probably has the most positive rep- reputation out of any baseball player in history, even past Stan Musial and Babe Ruth and all those guys, Roberto Clemente, Roberto Clemente played 18 years uh, with the pirates from 1955 to 1972. He played in the 79th most all uh, 79 most games all time, 2,433. He's tied for 68th in career batting average, 317. 129 weighted runs created plus. Is 36 all-time in war at 80.6. Has 12 all-star appearances. Is Was the 1966 NL MVP and won 12 gold gloves. And is also the gatekeeper for the 3,000-hit club. He has exactly 3,000 hits. And then the day after his 3,000 hit, obviously we know that he tragically died in a plane crash going back to his home country for charity work. Um, Roberto Clemente is one, a sparkling, um, sparkling uh, reputation. He's a great ambassador for the game, both in the U S and abroad. Um, And, you know, I think he was a good player and there's a lot of stories of how good of a player he was, how good of an arm he had out right field and things like that. But stretching beyond that is his character. And is his um, charity work, all of the charity work that he did overseas, uh, giving back to his home country and things of that nature. And he's a, a popular one in baseball and in baseball life, um, the Baseball Life Facebook group. He is he's a very, very popular player. And it doesn't surprise me, nor nor am I um, nor am I upset that he's in the top 10 and eight is probably right around where I, where I think he should be not only because of the skill he had as a baseball player, but just his character and his reputation across baseball, um, and extending beyond baseball using his, um, using his celebrity to make the world a a little bit of a better place, especially for his home country. Um, uh, Melvin, I'll just say this before I, I give the, I give the floor to you because I knew Melvin was going to pipe in because this is Melvin's favorite player. Um, Melvin says there are only two hall of fame, right fielders with a positive defensive war. Um, the one is Larry Walker 
at a 2.1 defensive war. The other one is Roberto Clemente at a 12.2 war defensively. So that means he was beyond beyond better defensively than any other right fielder in history, right? Um, so again, just speaks more to his lore as a baseball player. Kevin, I'll cede the floor to you. Your opinion of Roberto Clemente, our number eight outfielder of all time. Yeah, I'll I'll lead off my portion of the Clemente talk to, to say I didn't have him quite this high, but I have no issue with him being here, both because he is an all-time great on the field, but because he is the all-time great off the field, mm-hmm. I think. Um, on the field, he was the, the best defensive right fielder to ever live, uh, one of the best defensive outfielders to ever live. Uh, the it's a shame we don't have videos of every game that he played, but we do have some clips and he has two of the best throws I've ever seen. They look almost identical balls that bounce off the wall that he, he fields off the wall and and he makes one, a strong throw to home plate for the out and one, a strong throw to third base for the out. Each one of them are just absolute laser beams of a throw. Uh, His arm was ridiculous. And he obviously had a great bat to have 3000 hits and, Roberto Clemente is a guy that I don't think we can say enough nice things about as a person. Yeah. You know, after, after his plane went down on the way to Nicaragua, uh, Manny Sanguien, his teammate um, who was a catcher um, in, in Pittsburgh actually went, this is so sad. He actually went like snorkeling and scuba diving, searching for Clemente in hopes that he would somehow find evidence that he was still alive and he did so when they asked him, they said, you, you miss your friend. He said, the world needs Roberto Clemente. He said, that's why he went looking for evidence that he was still living because he said the world needed Roberto Clemente. Yeah. And they actually moved um, Manny Sanguin to right field for the start of the next season, almost as in a tribute to Clemente as they were close friends. He, he went back to catching after that, but um, I, I thought that was a, a pretty cool moved by the pirates, but Clemente, there's not, like I said, there's not enough nice things we can say about the man as a person. And he was a heck of a ball player too. Yeah. Um, That's that's something that, that we can't lose, lose sight of just because of how good of a person he was. We talked about Stan usual being a tremendous person. We talked about Frank Robinson being a good person and Clemente's somehow an even better human being than, uh, than those guys. He, it, to me, the all-time greatest person yep. to to play Major League Baseball. Yep. All right. So number eight, who you know, although he was one of the greatest uh, greatest people of all time, um, who did Baseball Life deem as better than Roberto Clemente? Our first one, our number seven outfielder of all time. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds spent a 22-year career with the Pirates and the Giants from 1986 to 2007. He played in the 11th most games all-time, 2,986. He is sixth all-time in OBP, 444, and fifth all-time in slugging percentage, 607. He is tied for third all-time in weighted runs created plus with Lou Gehrig and Rogers Hornsby, 173. He's second all-time in war, 164.4. He's played in 14 all-star games. He won the NL MVP. 
1992, 1993, then won four straight in 2001, 2002, 2003, and 2004. He's the all-time home run king, 762 home runs. He's sixth all-time in RBIs, 1,996. And he is the career leader. I, I thought I, yeah, he is the career leader in walks, 2,558, and intentional walks. 688. Uh, Barry Bonds, obviously with Barry Bonds, there's the steroid cloud that hovers over him. Um, in my mind, he was already a Hall of Fame player before he's, or, you know, before he, you could guess he started using steroids, right? He, there was, there's two different Barry Bonds. There's skinny Barry Bonds and then there's steroid Barry Bonds where he got bigger. Um, you know, Obviously, I went on my whole rant when it comes to Alex Rodriguez, so I'm not going to do it again when it comes to steroids. Everybody knows my my position on steroids. Um, the only difference in my mind between A-Rod and Barry Bonds is Barry Bonds was never never got legally or never got officially popped for steroids, but it's two of them, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, it's like, okay, we we know. We know you did, right? That's the that that those are the only two that I feel comfortable with. Okay, you didn't get popped, but we know you did it, right? Those are the only two that I'm like, okay. Um, but, I mean, the the numbers say that he's one of the best all time. It's just the steroid cloud. Where do you put him? You know what I mean? So, again, I'm not, I'm not going to talk much about – I've already gone on my rant when it comes to steroids. Um, and on top of that, he was also known as a difficult teammate. And he also has had some off the field issues as well that I'm sure Kevin will talk about. So I don't want to steal Kevin's limelight. If, if that is what he, if that is what he's going to talk about and I will, uh, I'll cede the floor to you. Barry Bonds at number seven. A tough one. Cause I think, I think if you were to remove, uh, remove the steroids and, uh, the off the field discussion, you're probably trying to figure out where Barry Bonds fits in the top five. And the fact that he's seventh on this list tells me that there are some people who did just that. And then there are others who looked at his, his cheating. Let's call it what it is, his cheating through using performance enhancing drugs and his off the field behavior and ranked him lower. I don't think there are probably very many people that actually had Barry Bonds ranked number seven on their list. I think there's a lot of people that had him up at the top and there's a lot of people who had him lower. They put him on the list because they felt he belonged, but they put him lower because of the cheating and because of the off the field stuff. Most of his um, votes were somewhere in the top four. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you were, if you were to only look at the numbers and not know anything else about Barry Bonds, I think he belongs there. He's a guy who, especially when he was younger in his career, was a very good fielder as well. He didn't have a great arm. As, uh, as Melvin mentioned in the chat, um, Roberto Clemente would have thrown out Sid Bream in 1991 <laughs> when, when Sid slid and, uh, and the Braves. Uh, the Braves won the National League, and Barry Bonds, uh, with his weaker throwing arm, did not throw out the very slow Sid Bream. Um, but he was a very good fielder other than his throwing arm, and he obviously is one of the best hitters of all time. He was a great base runner. Uh, he's the only guy ever to steal 500 bases while hitting 500 home runs. No one else has ever done that. 
but there's so much more to Barry Bonds' story. He's a guy who uh, had his multiple women who have come forward with domestic violence accusations, including um, uh, an ex-wife who based her entire divorce grounds on physical abuse. And uh, then the, the next girlfriend after that, uh, the ex-wife also accused him of domestic violence. He was known even while he was playing to be a bad teammate and to be really bad with the media as well. He was a guy who, uh, who did steroids. Uh, and you, you said he didn't get popped, but he actually does have a positive test that is on record in a sense. It's not on a record officially with baseball, but uh, when the Balco stuff was going to court, it was revealed that on uh, on the 2000, I can't remember if it was the 2003 list or the 2006 list. I think it was the 2003 list that Barry Bonds tested positive for uh, for something. I don't remember what it was. We tested positive, but it was it was on a classified list, and the only reason it even came out was because of the court proceedings. So he does sort of have a positive test. It's just not official with baseball. Yeah, because it was the the it was the anonymous 2003 test that I did not. Um, know. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same one that uh, supposedly has positive tests for Ortiz and Sosa uh, in it. Uh, it's it's ones that uh, A Rod and Palmero tested positive for before testing positive again later. Yeah. Um, it, it's he's in there uh, according to the court documents. It's not something baseball's ever addressed because it was supposedly anonymous, but he is in there. Uh, Jacob says it was 2003, that list. 2003. Yep. Thank you, Jacob. That, that's what I thought because I remembered it being anonymous. The 2006 was not anonymous. That was something separate for the courts. But 2003, yeah, that was when when he did test positive for some form of amphetamine. Yeah. So it is what it is with Barry Bonds. Yeah. One, one of the top five probably players ever if you only look at the numbers, but there's so much more. Yeah, there there is a lot more to look at there. Um, let's get into, we're closing in on the top five here. Let's get to our number six outfielder of all time. And it's another Yankee great Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle played 18 years at the Yankees from 1951 to 1968. He played in the 89th most games all time, 2,401. He's 18th all time at OBP at 421 getting on base while hitting for power tied for 20th all time in uh, slugging percentage at 557. He's seventh all time in career weighted runs created plus 170. 14th all time in war at 112.3. He played in 16 all star games, um, won the MVP in 1956, 1957, and 1962. He also won the gold glove in 1962 and is 18th all time in homers at 536. Uh, your take on Mickey Mantle as the number six outfielder of all time. Guys, right. Mickey Mantle is without a doubt one of the greatest players to ever play this game. I think having him at number six on this list is probably pretty appropriate. Uh, but the mythology around Mickey Mantle is even bigger than the reality, right? You know, he was a guy who, who was very popular uh, because of his personality and his, uh, we'll just say his, his off the field antics. He wasn't necessarily getting in, in legal trouble, uh, but he probably could have <laughs> if people would have been paying enough attention. You know, he was a guy who definitely partied a lot. Uh, he was very popular with the ladies, drank a lot, uh, a lot like Jimmy Fox. When we talked about our first base list, I'm really, really impressed with how he could hit while 
drinking during games. That's absurd to me. I don't understand how the human body can do that. Right. Uh, and I also, I also look at Mickey Mantle as the greatest switch hitter of all time. Uh, the only switch hitter that I view as being a better hitter than Chipper Jones. Uh, he's a, just an all-around really, really tremendous player. He was a good defender when he was young. Uh, before injuries and potentially um, some increased levels of drunkenness uh, brought him down uh, and eventually moved him even over to left field. But Mickey Mantle, I don't have a problem with him being number six. Yeah. I think he's a guy that's a little bit of a what if, because there, there's that small amount of, hmm, I wonder if instead of being a top, you know, 10 to 15 player of all time, could he be the best ever if he never gets hurt and if he cleaned up his act off the field? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I had a conversation once with Bobby Richardson, uh, who was Mickey Mantle's teammate with the Yankees. Uh, Bobby Richardson, by the way, great, great guy. He told me that one of his main responsibilities on the road was to keep an eye on Mickey Mantle <laughs> because there was no telling what kind of uh, shenanigans Mickey Mantle was going to get into. And uh, he said, I didn't always do my job very well in keeping an eye on Mick, but I got to imagine things would have been worse if I, if I didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just a, just a little personal story there that, uh, man, it could have been even crazier if not for Bobby Richardson. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it's funny you talk about the lore of Mickey Mantle, because I feel like that could be plugged into a lot of these Yankee players, right? Because, you know, the Yankee fan base is so big and the, you know, the Yankees, they, they love their players as all fan bases do, but because the Yankees are the most storied franchise in, in baseball history, the, the greats of those teams are just, you know, they're, they're held a little bit higher in baseball lore, right? There's a lot of Yankee players that are held to that upper echelon of, of, of baseball lore. So I feel like there's a lot of Yankee players that you could attribute that. Oh, well, they're, they're, you know, they're on this list or they're, they're this, they're as high on this list because of, you know, their lore as well. It's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily match the reality. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about with Yankee players, um, you know, are they, were they really that good or is their lore say they were that good? I mean, obviously, I mean, Mickey Mantle, I don't have a problem with him being number six either. Um, I'm just saying it's just with Yankee players it, it, in particular, excuse me, it's interesting to, to look at that as well. So, yeah, I, th I think Mantle probably, this is a little bit controversial, but I think he probably should have won the 1961 MVP. Yeah. Uh, when Man when Roger Maris hit 61 home runs to break Babe Ruth's record, I think he had a better year than Maris. Uh, but breaking that record from that guy, you know, breaking Ruth's record, they were never going to give it to anybody else. It was going to go to Maris. But I think Mantle had a better overall year, honestly. All right. So Mickey Mantle is number six. Who is in our top five outfielders of all time? We're moving right along here. Here we go. The top five outfielders of all time, starting at number five. There he is, the kid. Ken Griffey Jr. is our number five outfielder of all time. Uh, Griffey Jr. played 22 years with the Mariners, Reds, and I forgot he played for the White Sox a little bit. I had a cup of coffee there with the White Sox. 
1989 to 2010. He played in the 36 most games all time, 2,671. He uh, is 37th all time in slugging percentage of 538. Uh, 131 weighted runs created plus a 77.7 war 13 all-star games the 1997 al mvp won 10 gold gloves seven silver sluggers is seventh all-time in homers at 630 and is 17th all-time in rbis 1836 in my mind ken griffey jr even though he had the career that he had in my mind is still one of the biggest what-ifs in baseball history because of his injury you know because of his injury problems after he got off the mariners and went to the reds and stuff like that with all of the injury trouble that he had i would not be surprised if ken gurphy jr was number one on this list and i think he's only number five one because he's still a very popular player to this day and two because he got hurt that's why he's not in, you know, that's not that's why he's not closer to number 1. I think if Ken Griffey Jr was not hurt, he'd be number 1 on this list. Your thoughts on Ken Griffey Jr our number 5 outfielder of all time. It's a big statement, man. Number 1 on the list. Number Ooh. 1. Well, just because with his popularity and if he added just a little bit more numbers, he could have been. Maybe. Uh, I do think that I do think that King Griffey Jr. is both a worthy first ballot Hall of Famer and somehow still a what if story. You know, a little bit like Mickey Mantle, honestly, very similar careers in that they they had a first decade that was otherworldly, you know, being a, a center fielder that hit home runs, that stole bases, that played the field well, and was just adored by fans all over the league thought of as being really cool very similar trajectories there for Mano and Griffey uh, and then some nagging injuries start happening to the point where if you just looked at the numbers the first few years after the injury started you wouldn't notice too much of a drop-off but if you're watching every day you could see it yeah. you could see something wasn't the same especially for Griffey defensively uh, he actually with Cincinnati he was actually a negative defensive player through his time in Cincinnati, which is wild considering how good he was in Seattle. I don't think he was 10 gold gloves good, to be fair. I think some of that was uh, due to his popularity, uh, but he definitely should have won some of those gold gloves. He was a very good defender. All that being said, I think he's too high at number five. Wow. That might be that might be a bit sacrilege for a baseball fan who was born in the 90s. And so one of the first players I grew up watching was King Griffey Jr. And, you know, whose left-handed swing I tried to emulate in the backyard. Dude, that's the whistle. sweetest left-handed Bro, swing. Beautiful. Beautiful. Even though I was right-handed, like, I would turn around and swing left-handed so I could try to look as cool as Griffey Jr. But I think he's a touch high at five. I think he's top ten, certainly. I don't have a problem with him being there. I, th- I, I just I don't know if I can have him five. Uh, just when you look at the numbers, I mean, he had a little bit more longevity than Mantle, but Mantle's numbers are better. Um, I think you can make an argument that, uh, that some of the other guys further down the list could uh, could potentially slide in there too. Uh, but I think a lot of people are playing into the what if and to the popularity of Griffey to have him quite this high. Yeah. 
uh, Jacob in the chat is saying that not only was his, his swing sweet, but it was violent too. It was yes. a violent swing. It was a very violent swing. And usually when you have violent swings, they don't look good. You could tell it's mm-hmm. violent, but I don't know how you can make a violent swing look smooth, but he did. I mean, I, to this day, still love watching Ken Griffey Jr. swing. It just looks so easy for him. Anyway, uh, yeah. and then, uh, Corey Richmond is in the chat too, saying the kid was the best of the best. So there, there's, there's that, I believe. Uh, I'd have to scroll up a little bit in the comments. Yeah. Uh, Corey Richmond has, uh, did rank. He did, he did it a little different. And I think that's my fault. I think I told him earlier that we were going to do it by position. And then we decided to lump it, lump all of the outfielders in. He did it by position and he has Griffey as the greatest center fielder of all time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so there, I think, I think that's center field. Uh, either way he has, he has him up top on a list. Um, so yeah. King Griffey Jr., number five. Yeah, I, I did want to say one one thing in yeah. support of Griffey. Um, before 1997 and 1998, there had never been back-to-back 55 home run seasons. And McGuire and Griffey both in 97 and 98 put together back-to-back 55 home run seasons. So Griffey is, is tied with being the first player to ever do that. Uh, and that coming from a guy who was not very big. I mean, he's tall, but he wasn't very big, but with that smooth, but yet so violent swing, it was, it, it was really something to watch. You know, we look at some violent swings today, you know, Cody Bellinger is an example of a left-handed yeah. violent swing from somebody who's not very big. Cody Bellinger swing, not nearly, not nearly as pretty yeah. as King Griffey Jr. Oh yeah. Um, the other, the other anecdote, and I'm sure a lot of people know this one already, but the other anecdote I always thought was interesting was Ken Griffey Jr. would not play for one team, and that was the Yankees. And a lot of people, you know, you would think, oh, well, they're the Yankees, whatever, you know, it's just because you didn't like them. No, they said because his dad, um, they did not let Ken Griffey Jr. as a kid come out on the field. But then it was another, I don't remember the, uh, I don't remember the player, but the, uh, there was was Mattingly, right? I don't know if it was Mattingly. Either way, there was another player who asked if they could bring their kid on the field. And and it was, yes, I know it was a white player. And so they had an, and so Ken Griffey Jr. saw that and took issue with it. And you can, there is an audio recording of a Yankee fan saying, when are you going to come to the Yankees? And Ken Griffey Jr. says, if the, if the Yankees are the only team that offers me a contract, I will retire. He will retire before he plays with the Yankees. So I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever heard a player have that much disdain for a team that he didn't even play on. Um, yeah. a, a lot of that, a lot of that comes from his relationship with his dad too. Yeah. Um, he, he has a complicated history with his dad. Uh, I don't know if you're, if you knew this or not, but uh, the, the year before he was called up to the bigs. So right after he was drafted, uh, King Griffey Jr. Actually tried to kill himself. Oh, I did not. Uh, Yeah. He was feeling a lot of pressure over basically over baseball. Uh, He had his first ever like slump in his life. And he, he, the way he put it, he said, I was getting yelled at on the baseball field and then when I came home, I got yelled at about baseball some more because King Griffey Sr. saw the potential 
that junior had and wanted him to live up to it. But um, that event happening, you know, him trying to take his life uh, actually brought King Griffey Jr. and King Griffey Sr. to a very, very, very uh, close relationship that lasted for the, like even until today. They, uh, they, they had their struggles in the beginning, but after that happened, Sr. recognized he was being a bit hard on the kid and their relationship changed forever yeah. uh, to the point where they were the first father-son teammates to hit home runs together, actually hit them back-to-back. And, um, and you know, they did the Field of Dreams, want to have a catch uh, thing, which was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's a little thing that I, I didn't know until recently, um, but uh, just I thought worth mentioning. I saw a thing that they, they talked about that. They talked about when – they hit back-to-back homers in the in the same game, and senior senior was like, "You may have been a better ball player, but mine was farther." Because <laughs> uh, well, Griffey Griffey hit his uh, well, Griffey Junior. Excuse me, hit his opposite field. Yeah, um, which wasn't something he did that often with his big, violent left-handed swing. Right. But he hit a little line drive opposite field home run that just went out, and I think they were still in the kingdom then. But yeah, that's funny. I just, I just love that comment. You may have been a better ball player, had a better career than me, but mine went farther. <laughs> anyway, so King Griffey Jr. lands at number five on our list. Who is said to be better than the kid, according to Baseball Life? Our number four, Ted Williams. Ted Williams played a 19-year career with the Red Sox from 1939 to 1942, then missed the 42-45 to 45 season due to military service. And then, and then played from 1946 to 1960. Uh, he played in 2,292 career games, is tied for 10th all-time in average at 344, has the best on-base percentage, 482, and his second all-time in slugging at 634, is second all-time in weighted runs created plus, 188, eighth all-time in war, 130.4, played in 17 all-star games, won the MVP in 1946 and 1949. He won the Triple Crown his last year before military service, and then again after he came back from military service in 1942 and in 1947. 20th all-time in homers from five with 521 and 16th all-time in RBIs, 1839. And has one of the best swings, and is probably one of the one of the first people to really look at a swing scientifically, right? Instead of just getting up there and swinging and figuring out what looks good. I mean, he, the the man even published the art of hitting, like a book on how to swing, and it's a scientific approach on hitting a baseball. And this scientific approach worked for Ted Williams because he's one of the best hitters of all time. This is another one that I, this is a guy that I bring up too. When we talk about, you know, Mike Trout not being as good of a player because he doesn't win it. He's never won a world series. Neither did Ted Williams. Are we going to say Ted Williams sucks too? I don't think so. Right. Um, Anyway, I'm going to rest my case there with, uh, with, with Mike Trout because we're talking about Ted Williams. In my mind, Ted Williams, one of the best complete hitters in the game, um, and probably the most beloved Red Sox. I can't think of another Red Sox that would probably be more loved uh, in that franchise than Ted, than Ted Williams. So it's kind of the same boat, not as big of a boat, but kind of the same boat as Stan Musial 
to be that loved in a storied franchise, you know you got to be that good, right? You got to be a good ball player. Ted Williams at number four. Uh, what say you about Ted Williams there, Kevin? Yeah, Ted Williams to me is a top three hitter ever. Uh, you, he's got a good argument for number one, even, you know, with having the the best on-base percentage ever and the second highest slugging ever. Uh, he's he's a guy that uh, he, he had an MVP stolen from him. He was robbed of the 1947 MVP. We talked about that on a previous podcast. You know, actually, that was won by Joe DiMaggio. Completely undeserved. DiMaggio was great, but that was like his sixth or seventh best season that he had, and Ted Williams won the Triple Crown. Uh, and every single number, Ted Williams was higher than Joe DiMaggio. Uh, he just didn't play in New York like Joe D did. But uh, Ted Williams is a guy who's just – he's different, man. Uh, when, he, when he went into the Air Force, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of mythology around that. You know, they claim he was, he was an ace. That's not actually true. Uh, but he, he did pass some of the preliminary pilot tests uh, in a way that had never been done before. You know, vision, you know, 2020 is considered average acceptable vision. Like, that's what's good – and then 2015 is excellent. 2010 is supposedly perfect vision. So Ted Williams takes the vision test and the highest or lowest, however you want to look at it, you could get was 2010 because that's supposedly perfect. Well, he apparently got that easily and they didn't have any way of measuring to see if his vision was actually better than that. But with how easily he got the 2010 number, there are people who speculate that his vision was actually better than what is perceived as perfect, which is why, or which is what leads people to believe that could be part of why he was such a good hitter is because he had better than perfect vision. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's an, inter- that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. I just, I, I like the scientific approach that he took to hitting and just, mm-hmm. you know, in the audio recordings, you can tell, that he took this methodical approach to his swing and analyzed every part of his swing so that he could gain the maximum everything out of it. And it worked, you know, so. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. well in that 98, uh, I think it was 98 or 99, maybe all-star game at Fenway. Um, and I'm sure anyone who'd be listening to this podcast is probably seen clips from that where all of the all-stars just gather around Ted Williams mm-hmm. as he's going out for the ceremonial first pitch. They didn't all have to do that. There were just a handful of players that were supposed to be escorting him uh, to the pitcher's mound, you know, Tony Gwynn being one. Uh, and there were, there were a few others, but he and all of them, Tony Gwynn were pretty good friends if I remember correctly. Right. They, they were, and they, they would talk hitting a lot. And Ted Williams is basically, if you could take Tony Gwynn, and add 25 home runs a year. Yeah. <laughs> Which we talked we talked so highly of Tony Gwynn earlier and his bat to ball skills. Ted Williams was probably just as good at, at that but had power. 521 home runs despite missing 3 years, well 3 plus years due to military service. It's just unbelievable. I mean, if he doesn't miss that time, you're probably looking at a guy who finished his career with 625 650 home runs uh and that uh, obviously his rbi total 
would have risen. He would have been one of only a handful of players to have 2,000 RBIs. Uh, I think the debate over greatest hitter ever, Mike, would be closed if he didn't miss those years. Agreed. Yeah, I could see that for sure. All right. So Ted Williams at number four, who made our top three, our number three outfielder of all time. He didn't make number one, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth is our number three outfielder of all time. He played a 22-year career with the Red Sox, the Yankees, and then a very short stint with the Boston Braves from 1914 to 1935. Uh, He played in 2,503 career games. Uh, He has a 197 weighted runs created plus a 168.4 war, which is best, which is number one all time. I don't know why I have, I don't have that, but he played in two all-star games. And the only reason why he played in two all-star games is because he played when there was no all-star game. Um, he won the MVP in 1923, third all-time in Homer, 714, third all-time in RBIs, 2,217, and the career leader in OPS, that's on-base plus slugging, 1.164, and OPS plus, which is, it's essentially baseball, uh, baseball references version of weighted runs created plus. It's the same. It's kind of the same deal there. Above 100 is great. 206, way higher. <laughs> uh, career leader in OPS plus. Babe Ruth at number three. I don't think there's much more to say about Babe Ruth than we already know um, in terms of his of his baseball play. I have seen. I've been to museums where he there's his stuff is there. Like, you know, when he coached the Dodgers, when he was manager for the Dodgers or coach for the Dodgers. And, you know, I've seen uniforms of his, this man was huge. I mean, giant, he was big. Um, and on top of that, I just always think, I just always think it's funny. Like every game he, he ate hot dogs. That's all he did all game long was eat hot dogs. He'd eat hot dogs and and drink and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, to be that good of a ball play. And you want to talk about a man that was born to play baseball and found home on a baseball field. You know, there's the story of their story of, you know, Babe Ruth was an orphan as a kid played in, or, you know, he was in orphanages growing up and, you know, stuff like that. And that was his home was a baseball diamond. And he used baseball as a way to get out of the orphanages, to get out of, you know, that, that life. And it succeeded. And he became the, the um, poster boy for baseball history. If even if you're not a baseball fan, you've never picked up a baseball, you've never watched a baseball game, you know who Babe Ruth is, right? You may not know who anybody else is, but you know who Babe Ruth is, right? You may know something about Babe Ruth anyway, right? You know that his name was Babe Ruth. He was a baseball player and he played for the Yankees. No, there isn't very many athletes across, across sports history that have as much notoriety as Babe Ruth. And it's because of just how beloved he was in his era and the Yankee fandom um, altogether. So I think I just I just find it interesting that Babe Ruth is number three on this list. We have two other people that have been listed as a better ball player. You know, we talk about the lore and stuff like that, and it still didn't carry Babe Ruth to number one. So what's your uh, take here on Babe Ruth at number three? Is he a is he appropriately rated here at number three? I would 
put Babe Ruth number one on the outfield list, uh, despite him um, not being as good defensively as some of the other guys. Uh, he, he wasn't a bad defender. That's a common misconception. He wasn't a bad defender. He just wasn't a great defender uh, in right field. But Babe Ruth, <laughs> Babe Ruth is a guy who has such a large mythology, such a large, uh, I guess you can even almost just say uh, like magic about him, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't uh, fall short of that magic and that mythology. Like he lived up to all of it. He was a guy who hit home runs in an era where people didn't. Uh, there were years of his career where he hit more home runs than entire teams hit. That that's absurd. And he's. <laughs> I don't know that he was quite the quite the drunk as. Mickey Mantle or Jimmy Fox or some of these other guys, uh, but he certainly did not take care of himself. He drank a lot off the field, ate, <laughs> ate hot dogs. We talked about Wade Boggs being the chicken man and eating chicken uh, before and after games. Well, Babe Ruth would eat hot dogs and, and drink beer and smoke He'd cigars. Eat hot dogs and all during games. He'd say yeah, he'd go get a hot dog for him. There, there is a video of him paying the like the clubhouse boy to go to the concession stand to bring him hot dogs during a game. <laughs> he, he, at the end of his career, uh, well, I, I tried to find some Babe Ruth stories that maybe not a lot of people had heard because most people know most things about Babe Ruth just because of how big the mythology of Babe Ruth is. Yeah. But, but I wanted to come across a couple of stories that maybe people didn't know. And one of them, is that at the end of his career with the Boston Braves, they basically told him, hey, man, you're too, you're too out of shape to play every day. You're just going to kind of be a, a backup first baseman and a pinch hitter. Um, and he said, well, I, I wanted to come back to Boston and play. I didn't want to come back to Boston and, and not play, so I'm going to retire. But I want to play one more game. And in that one game, he hit three home runs and never played again, <laughs> which is kind of a wild thing. But also, did you know, Austin, that Babe Ruth did not begin in the Red Sox organization? I, I did. He started with the Orioles, didn't he? Yeah. So he was a minor league player for the Orioles, you know, growing up in and around Baltimore. Uh, that's not all that surprising. But Babe Ruth was sold from the whichever minor league team in the Orioles organization uh, to the Red Sox who then tried to get rid of him multiple times because they thought he didn't have the work ethic as a pitcher because he was a pitcher, as, as most people know. They didn't think he had the work ethic as a pitcher to be a great ball player. So they tried to give him to the – or sell him to the Philadelphia Athletics. They said it was too expensive. They tried to sell him to the Reds, and the Reds actually agreed to take Babe Ruth uh, from the Red Sox, but the Red Sox said – can it wait till next year? We're going to put him in the minors for a little bit uh, just to help our new minor league team win the minor league championship. So that happened. And then the, the Red Sox backed out of the deal because they thought they saw some potential in this Babe Ruth kid who then went on to be one of the best pitchers in the league yep. before transitioning to being without a doubt, the best hitter in the league. And I, I find it so funny that nobody wanted him. You know, the Orioles sold him off. The Red Sox tried to sell him off and then did and then changed their mind. 
And we're talking about arguably the greatest baseball player to ever live. A guy who is without a doubt in the top five when you're talking about best baseball players ever. And he almost didn't have a career. And that's just wild to me. He only got to start hitting because he would sneak onto the field and take batting practice when pitchers didn't take batting practice. The only time they would hit would be in in game. He snuck onto the field for batting practice over and over again to the point where they couldn't ignore what he was doing. It's crazy. It is. So eventually Babe Ruth was sold to the Yankees for $125,000. That was how much the Yankees paid to have Babe Ruth. And if I remember correctly, do you know what they use that money for? The green monster. Uh, oh, I did not know that. I believe that's, I believe that's what they use the money for. I believe the money that they used to sell uh, to, 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 to get Babe Ruth off was for the green. Uh, they eventually used it for the green monster. Hmm. Um, I, I would have to do research. Um, I was trying to look it up here really quickly. Um, but um, I, and then an 85 year curse ensued. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, it's funny you were talking about um, his pitching uh, stats there, um, and he was he was he was a very good pitcher, one of the one of the better pitchers in the league. Um, and I was just looking at it; he led the league one year in ERA. I gotta I gotta put it back up again, but he led the league in ERA one point seven five. Let's see, nineteen sixteen at age twenty one, he led the league. Uh, in ERA with one uh, 1.75 game started at 40 and shutouts nine. He threw out, he threw nine shutouts that year. He also led in ERA plus um, hits per nine home runs per nine. You want to know how many home runs per nine he gave up? Zero. Zero point zero. Um, I mean, that isn't, that isn't that hard and that, in that era, they didn't hit home runs in that era. Um, and then in 1917, he led the league in complete games, 35. So he was a good pitcher before he became a hitter. And it's it's so funny that, you know, he was that good at hitting that they were like, you know what? We can't have you pitch anymore. We got to have you hit. You know, so Babe Ruth at number three, the hot dog. Hitter. Oh, oh, sorry. When you, when you consider that he pitched. And didn't didn't hit for the majority of his Red Sox career. We're probably looking at 800 home runs from this guy if they just let him play. Mm-hmm. I mean, 800. That's Let's crazy. See. He logged uh, five games, 42 games, 67 games. Oh yeah, and then he didn't really start hitting with the Red Sox until. 1918, which is his second to last year, he had 382 plate appearances. Before that, he never got above 200 plate appearances a season. So that's just, that's crazy. All right, number Number three, three. Babe Ruth. And who is our number two outfielder all time? Hammer and Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron played a 23-year career with the Braves, both Milwaukee and Atlanta. And then the Brewers from 1954 to 1976. He's played in the third most games all time, 3,298. Uh, he's tied for 22nd in uh, uh, 
slugging percentage, 555. He's tied for 23rd in weighted runs created, plus 153. He's sixth all-time in war at 136.3. 21 all-star appearances, 1957 MVP, three gold gloves, third all-time in hits, 3,771. Second all-time in homers, 755. And the all-time leader in RBIs, 2,297. And the all-time leader in total bases, 6,856. So I'm sure you have a lot to say about Hank Aaron being number two, being the Braves fan. So I will give you the floor. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Hank Aaron, he's the greatest Brave of all time. Uh, I believe I, I believe I would have him around the top five for greatest overall player of all time. He is, and I know this is, this is a little bit petty. He is to me, the home run King, 755 home runs. And if you take away every single one of those home runs, he still has over 3000 hits. It's pretty impressive. It is. I mean, he's the all-time leader in total bases, like you mentioned, which is a stat that doesn't get brought up enough because that is the stat that shows how much value you bring in terms of just while you're in the box. Yep. What can you do when the pitcher throws the ball your direction? Nobody has more bases than Hank Aaron. And it's not that close. No. And then nobody drove in more of his teammates. I know RBIs isn't a perfect stat, but it's helpful. There's no denying that. And the man was was a really good base runner. You know, when he was young, he was fast too. So he stole a lot of bases, but he was known as a really good and smart base runner as well. He, he, was, um, he wasn't just a good base runner when he was fast, even when he got old, he would take extra bases and he would, he would, uh, you know, steal based off of a pitcher's slow windup rather than based on his speed that he didn't have anymore. And he's just, he's a guy that kind of transcended baseball for a while. You know, he was popular during, or he was playing during the the civil rights movement of the fifties and sixties and became one of the one of the faces of the movement. Obviously, uh, not to the same level as you know Martin Luther King Jr. or anything like that. But uh, the way that Henry Aaron conducted himself on the field in the face of racist chants at times from crowds, in the face of a lot of hate mail that he got uh, from racist fans. Uh, was was nothing nothing less than the epitome of class. Uh, he was he was a guy that um, we we've said this about a few guys on this list. He was a guy that was a tremendous person, not just a tremendous ball player. Uh, when he passed away uh, just over a year ago, it was um, it was a sad day for baseball because it was it was one of the best players and one of the best people to ever be associated with the game. Uh, that we had lost. Uh, Hank Aaron, to me, is is a top five player of all time. I have no problem with him being number two on this list. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really that much else to say. Yeah. 
all-time player and all-time person. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any problem with Hank Aaron at number two either. And I think he'd be on a lot of people's lists in top five all-time, maybe even top three all-time. Uh, so, who did Baseball Life find better than Hank Aaron? I'm sure people have pretty much guessed at this point, but we're going to unveil it nonetheless. Uh, no, we're just going to cut you off. Uh, number one all time is Willie Mays. Willie Mays spent a 23 year career with the Birmingham black Barons in the Negro leagues. And then with the giants, New York and San Francisco, and then the Mets in 1948, he played for the black Barons in 1948 and then went over to the giants, 1951, 1952 and then in 1954 to 1973 he played he missed the 1953 season due to military service played the ninth most games all time 3005 he's tied for 20th all time in slugging percentage at 557 tied for 20th all time in weighted runs created plus 154 is third all time in war so we had the number one number two and number three in war as our number one, number two, and number three outfielders of all time, is twenty. Uh, he has twenty All Star appearances, won the 1951 Rookie of the Year, won the MVP in 1954, and then didn't win it for another eleven seasons, and won it again in 1965. Uh, he has twelve Gold Gloves. He's thirteenth all time in hits at 3,283. Sixth all-time in homers, 660. And his 12th all-time in RBIs, 1,903. Willie Mays, the giant great, at number one all-time. There really isn't much more you can say about Willie Mays. Great defender. He has the catch, right? Over-the-shoulder basket catch, and then just turns around and flings it back into the, flings it back into the infield. Um, great ambassador for the game. Great player. There really isn't much you could say all kinds of good things. And we said it about these last five hitters. Great, great player, all time. Great. What do you have to say about Willie Mays at number one? One of the, one of the coolest things about how good Willie Mays was, was that 1948, he played for the Birmingham black Barons. That might not sound impressive to you, except he was a high school student who went to school during the day. And then would play when they had night games, meaning he did not practice and was good enough to play with a professional baseball team as a high school student who did not practice with the team. I know he didn't play a ton with them. That's almost irrelevant. If you can play with a professional baseball team while never practicing because you have school as a high school age kid, that's amazing. <laughs> that's how good he was even as a young kid. And once he ten hits with the Birmingham Barons. Yeah. And once, once he realized it was unsustainable for him to keep up being a high school student and playing with them, he, he took some time off and then got, you know, drafted by the giants. And he was one of three superstar center fielders in New York. Uh, at the time, you know, he was with the giants, Joe DiMaggio, at the end of his career, but then, uh, and then Mickey Mantle in New York uh, with the Yankees and then Duke Snyder with the Brooklyn Dodgers and fans at the time were, were a little bit reluctant to consider Mays as good as the other two, a lot of, a lot to do with race. Uh, but Willie Mays eventually won over everyone with his play, uh, 
Uh, he was he was so incredible as a player, and he had a I don't know if you've ever if you've ever heard this he had a little bit of a unique way of combating uh, racism. You know there were more outspoken players. You know Aaron was a little bit outspoken. Obviously Jackie Robinson was very outspoken during his career. Uh, Willie Mays was pretty quiet, um, but what he did was he raised money quietly and would put it back into black communities. And he was actually, and man, this is wild to me that he was able to get away with this. He was actually golfing buddies with a, with somebody pretty high up in the New York mob. Mm -hmm. And he would get money from this guy and then give it to black communities. Something that that guy would have never done on his own. Yeah. So, you know, uh, which is, which is kind of a, kind of a cool thing. Uh, but yeah, he never like he never defended himself when he would be criticized for being quiet um, about race issues and things like that. But yet behind the scenes, he was raising all sorts of money uh, for uh, underprivileged black kids in Harlem, especially. Uh, it's just a cool, cool thing to add about his character. But as a ball player, I mean, you, you look at the numbers and you see that Willie Mays was, was special. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the top, I don't know. 10 offensive players, maybe probably top five offensive players, regardless of position, but also one of the top five or 10 defensive players, regardless of position. You look at the center field uh, position specifically, you're looking at Willie Mays, you're looking at Andrew Jones. Who else competes defensively at that level? I don't know that there's anybody else in that discussion, but Willie Mays destroys all of the guys in that discussion offensively. Yeah. Yeah. 660 home runs uh, is is crazy. He, he actually hit 40 home runs in both the 50s and the 70s. He didn't do it in the in the 60s somehow, but he did hit 40 home runs in both the 50s and the 70s, right. which it's wild that somebody could hit for that much power over such a long stretch of time. Yeah. But Willie Mays was able to do it. Exactly. All right, we made it, man. All the way to the end. 15, 15 of the greatest outfielders of all time. Um, wow. <laughs> it was a, that was a lot. All-time greats and you know, we told you this list was good. And I and I think we delivered. This list was this list was good. Um, so with that, do you have anything else to share there, Kevin? I think uh I, I haven't I haven't checked this to to back up the claim, but I think Corey knows what he's talking about most of the time. He says our he says the list ended up with four right fielders, six center fielders, and five left fielders, which is interesting that it, it's pretty evenly split. Yeah, you know, you would think it would probably end up being a lot more center fielders just based on the prestige of the of the position, but yeah. it's pretty even, which I yeah. think is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that is pretty cool as well. Each each position got a bit of uh, equal, equitable record recognition. Um, so yeah, and then Corey also wanted to put in there that um, somebody that was not on the list, Saruhuro O, um, one of the great. I believe he was Japanese. Is he Japanese? I think he was Japanese. Yes, one of the great Japanese outfielders hit 868 combined home runs. Hmm. A lot. Yeah, and and I also want to shout out Oscar Charleston as well. Yeah. as a guy who is an all-time great. Um, he didn't make this list, obviously. Um, and a lot of that's just got to do with time period and leagues and things like that. But yeah. uh, Oscar Charleston and 
uh, Sadaharu, oh, both obviously incredible talents that uh, that would would have been able to probably make a claim to this list somehow if they were major league players. Uh, uh, I believe Oscar Charleston did get votes. Um, obviously, not very many. Um, we had we had sixty seven people, sixty seven outfielders. Um, um, were nominated. Yep. Oscar, Oscar Charleston is on here. Uh, 36th. So, you know, he did, he did get on here. Um, and then, you know, we have all kinds of other people on here. Um, another tidbit, um, technically Stan usual is the only player on any of these lists to make two. If you guys remember from our last podcast or from our first base podcast, we had to take Stan Musial off. He actually was on the first base list as well. So, um, you know, we took him off because we didn't want, we didn't want people repeating um, on our list. So technically Stan Musial made two. So that just, again, says to how good of a player he is. Um, so other than that, thank you guys for bearing with us. I know it was a little bit longer, but thank you for bearing with us and listening to the total bases podcast. We are going to be on again on Tuesday, barring any other circumstances. We're going to be on again on Tuesday. Talk about the greatest catchers of all time. We're going to start the battery, the pitcher catcher battery, and we're going to go to the best catchers of all time. That should be another good debate. And, uh, we will see you here on Tuesday. Do you have any parting comments, uh, Kevin, before we sign off? Uh, just thanks to the chat. We had a really engaged chat today the chat or great. tonight. Um, so appreciate you guys being involved with uh, adding some adding some good information and just engaging with us as well. I appreciate you guys in the chat. Yep, it was great. Nice job, guys. Uh, so thank you for listening to the Total Basis Podcast, and uh, we will see you again on Tuesday. Um, and until next time, have a good one, everybody.